Welcome back. It's EGAT. Everyone gets a trophy. Kevin Dunn, Paul Wadlington, and 2020 has been a hell of a year, buddy, Uh, but definitely for the Texas football program, up and down, and if there was a little bit of life left in in the Tom Herman era, they showed it yesterday. Kind of interesting, though. You look at the total number of yards, and I don't have it pulled up i probably should but we've been dealing with technical stuff so oklahoma state 587 right? yeah is that it i think oklahoma state had 530 and okay. texas had 287 that's what it was okay yeah anyway 75 something like something terrible a huge difference one of the things we talked about if texas thought that with their 12 personnel and kind of just running the football 47 times against baylor if that that, that was going to work against oklahoma state it probably wouldn't. The other thing we brought up is that Spencer Sanders will give you gifts, and they will give you gifts. And Texas got a couple, and they're able to convert that to 13 points. They really kept them in this game in the first half and then give them credit. Joseph Asai probably uh, definitely the most in terms of, of just going out there, playing hard, and making some plays. And they turned this thing into a much closer game that than we thought at least I thought it would be in the fourth quarter. I ended up picking Oklahoma State to win by seven, but I kind of felt like it was more of a 14-point spread, and that could have been the case if it's not for Deshaun Jamison, Texas defense stopping the run, and then the offense, which did not play well, making some plays when they had to. Yeah, unbelievable. This was the first top-10 road victory. I should say over a top-10 team road victory since 2010 Nebraska. so that that gives you a little perspective on where texas has been the last decade but also the significance potentially of this victory in stillwater and i gotta say it it was it was amazing to, to finish a game see the opposing quarterback throw for 400 yards the game is consistently in doubt right as it, it almost felt like in a way like tech late and Texas pulls it out, and they do it with effectively defense and special teams. And they do that to win a game 41-34. to 34. Only, <laughs> yeah. you know, not often do you say it was a, did we win this game on defense and special teams, and the game, you know, the score isn't like 17-10. to 10. But 41-34 in overtime, Texas pulls it out. And what's amazing about all of this is as excited as I was and as happy as I was for Texas to win – I got to think that there were still Texas fans who felt ambivalent about the final game result. Yeah, we well, should have done post game last night because uh, that, that was essentially what it was. A lot of Texas fans that were it, they said, hey, I'm glad we won. Does this mean Herman's still going to be the coach? And they were saying that they don't think he, he should be. Look, that's kind of a macro discussion. We can get into that a little bit, but. Right now with this program and everything that's going on, it's week to week. And they, like you said, I mean, it was 2010 Nebraska that, if you remember, really was kind of a defensive effort. That was when Greg Davis had said, look, we're just going to run Garrett Gilbert and have the Achos and Keenan Robinson in that defense make plays. And Nebraska was vastly overrated. The, the national conscience hadn't really understood that this is not 1995 Nebraska or 90 Nebraska, or any of those teams. But you go back to last night, you mentioned 287 and 530. Oklahoma State averaged 5.8 per per play, and Texas averaged 3.8. Texas, <laughs> Texas threw for 169 compared to 400. Oklahoma State, which didn't have a good running game, 2.5 per carry, and I think they stuck to that too much. And I know why they did, because Mike Gundy was scared that Spencer Sanders was just going to give this game away. And actually, on that last drive, when they tied it up to go into OT, I looked at someone and said, I know it reeks of a field goal, but I got a feeling this will be a touchdown or an interception to end this thing, because it kind of felt that way. And Mike Gundy coached that way. But they even outrushed Texas, 130 to 118. It's a miracle Texas won. They had to be plus four to do it. Yeah, plus four on turnovers, a special teams touchdown from Deshaun Jameson. Uh, of course, he earned a person. You know, Texas can't just be happy with success, right? So Deshaun Jameson basically does a, a crossover dribble as he catches that kick at the goal line, bounces it off the ground, picks it up, 
takes off running, crosses over two guys, cuts back against the grain and turns the Jets on. Beautiful kick return. And then he goes to shush. He has a bag of shush in his pocket. He wants to give the Oklahoma student section, Oklahoma State student section, and he gets a 15-yard flag for that. Unreal. We see that all over. I mean, there are guys that will get a sack and do that, and they're not going to call a penalty. You return an 11-point game, uh, a kickoff return, and you do that, and you get flagged. Big 12 officials at their finest. How many times have you seen an opposing player run over to the UT student section after a touchdown or a big play, do double horns down, uh, his teammates are doing horns down behind him, one of them grabbing his nuts, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're just supposed to – and then the game just carries on, right? Yeah. Deshaun Jameson literally went, shh, yeah. quiet. And by the way, and, for, for people listening – I, I mean, Paul, speak for yourself, but I'm pretty sure you're you're in my camp. I don't want them to flag them for the double horns down. Let, let, you no, know, let's go ahead and tackle them. Keep them out of the end zone. Yes, that's exactly right. I, I think that referee had his heart broken by a librarian when he was young. <laughs> you mean, I think he saw that. It triggered him. He's like, oh, Muriel or you know, whoever she was. And he was he just he lashed out at being at being shushed. He didn't didn't want any part of it. Well, Texas did add to their penalties again, and that's been a story for this team. We kind of asked the question, uh, have they curbed that? Have they healed themselves? Are they not going to be double-digit penalty team after the Baylor game? But there's a lot, as we said, you can't take out of the Baylor game. 13 penalties, 142 yards. I talked with Trey Elling before the game, who's dealing with COVID right now, so he's all locked up and now, that's one thing you got to remember. If one of your friends gets COVID, you're going to get a lot of phone calls when they're just bored. And it's like, all right, man, I- I'm still living life. Yeah, I-, I had no idea. I'm going to have to text him. I'm amazed he hasn't texted me yet just out of boredom. I'm, I'm number 28 on his list of people to talk to probably. But I'm sure he's getting there. Oh, but God. Doing? Once I tell him that, that he it's okay for him just to text you nonstop, he will. Trey, Trey still has – has some dignity where uh, where he won't do that unless he already knows that he's that that you guys are tight enough. But yeah, he loves you, so he'll text you. He's doing all right. He went to a, a wedding both of us were invited to in Mexico, and good guy. And it was a Texas watch party that just got bigger than he thought. You know, I mean, he's pretty pretty serious about health and everything. So I mean, he was not trying to put himself into harm's way. His wife is also a nurse, so yeah, they got. They got put in kind of a weird spot, but he's doing better. I'll tell him you said, hey, but we were talking yesterday a couple times before the game, and I said, hey, here, here's an over-under I want you to look for. Pass interference penalties on us whenever we're just being kind of space cadet or flipping out and grabbing just to grab because the ball's in the air. And that's, yeah. a, that's a majority of the 13 penalties for 142 yards. I haven't been able to rewatch it yet. I'm going to rewatch it uh, a couple times this week and I'll, I'll 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 go ahead and mark it for for next podcast but that's been a problem for 10 years why are our rdbs even jameson who looked as smooth as he did on the kickoff return and is our best playmaker when the i thought with the ball in the air heading into this year which is why he got the starting nod why do they flip out so much how do we correct that i'm so sick of it i i can tell you What's interesting and was a bit of a shock to me is that precocious Joe Cook, our friend, uh, who does the Want to Know podcast and also, of course, writes it inside Texas, he reported that Jay Valai and Chris Ash teach them to play through the man and through the ball, and they don't want them typically looking back and trying to track the football in the air. No, that's not so, – with the new rules the last – 20 years ago, maybe, for the last 10 years, no. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a failure to adjust. And also, it's a failure to be in a conference where, where the Big 12 will always take something to its extreme. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so, it, basically, you saw repeatedly when, when they weren't torturing us with that wide side deep out that Tylen Wallace kept catching against bail coverage for a free 17 yards over and over. Uh, what they kept doing was just finding any Texas – corner in single coverage and Spencer Sanders would throw up kind of a moon ball yeah. right yeah and just 
basically target it and then let let you know if it was if the if the throw was thrown a little short then the receiver pulls up and draws the pi right as the guy runs into him if the ball was thrown on target the receiver goes up and grabs it if if the ball isn't thrown on target they're counting on a pi anyway and basically the big 12 is always going to take some rule or some development or wrinkle to its extreme and they're just going to keep doing it over and over and you have to stop them and you have to teach your guys at some point to turn around, locate the ball in the air and, and punish them for that with a turnover, because that's the only way it's going to stop. Because if you keep rewarding them with bailouts on third and long, Oh my God. And how many times was it third and six, third and nine, third and 12. And Texas gave them a new set of downs with, with a, a PI. And it was just remarkable. It was the same thing over and over. The crazy thing though is Oklahoma State, they throw for 400 yards. Spencer Sanders averages 10 yards an attempt, which is fantastic for, for Oklahoma State. They, don't, they didn't complete a pass longer than 28 yards. So even with all of that, Oklahoma State never threw a ball really over the Texas secondary's heads, which was surprising. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised because, I mean, Tylen Wallace is really good. I'm not sure I get a, how good of a pro he's going to be. Brock Heward touched on it and it's been what we've talked about with Tylen Wallace for three years his body control is very special how special he'll be at that next level I don't know but their big deep threat is actually Braden Johnson who they ran a jet sweep with I believe and he really showed his speed as he got the edge and got the corner he's a redshirt junior out of Arlington number eight and I kind of wonder how much they can really stretch you know, I mean, because I, I looked at the same thing, and I was surprised that we didn't see more bigger plays. I, and I think some of that is a product of to throw deep, you have to have time. And the biggest thing, the biggest advantage Texas was going to have in this game, we knew it before, and as injuries piled up during the game with Jake Springfield, the left tackle for Oklahoma State, and then their best lineman, Tevin Jenkins, who went out for a little while, the right tackle, Texas was going to have to dominate that part. And just like 99 Nebraska, you know, this was uh, an anniversary of the October 31st game, Halloween game against Nebraska in 98. Well, a year later, they came down here with a much better Eric Crouch, and they got the, the game never started because of Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton. And Texas was going to have to have a version of that. And with Graham and Jacoby Jones, got to give you a lot of love. You've been talking about this guy since uh, the uh, really last year. And you're like, you know, the, in definitely the offseason. This guy can help out. And then obviously Joseph Osai, they really, really handicapped what Mike Gundy wanted to do. And you throw that in with Spencer Sanders throwing the ball away. That's why you had that 2.5 rushes per, per carry. Because, and that's why they were running so much. You know, Gundy was scared about what was going to happen. I think that's right, and we would be remiss. We probably should have opened the podcast, like, reciting slam poetry in honor of Joseph Osai or, like, singing a, a saga of, you know, like, Viking conquest with Joseph Osai as the main character because that guy was freaking unbelievable. What a warrior. Uh, playing injured, his shoulders in a harness. He gets 12 tackles, six tackles for loss, three sacks, forces a fumble, snags a fumble recovery, Unbelievable. If, if there are not Longhorn fans naming their dog or their child Joseph Osai right now, uh, you're, you're missing out because that guy is such a stud. He's such a warrior. I, I, it was a highlight reel performance. And there are so many favorite plays that he made in that game that are just unbelievable to me. And obviously the final play of the game, Texas zero blitzes. Yeah. And Spencer Sanders gets flushed from the pocket. Spencer is a fast guy. He's an elusive guy. He's a, he's a 4640 quarterback at minimum. He's sprinting, sprinting out effectively, trying to buy time while the Texas secondary is all locked up in one-on-one -on -one coverage. And Joseph Osai comes off the edge like a bat out of a hell. This is the 91st play that the Texas defense has defended. Osai has had to have been in there for 70 of them at least. And he comes around the corner like a bat out of a hell, runs the guy down, like a freaking lion on the Savannah, and that's ball game. It's a walk-off sack. Unbelievable effort. And you know what? There was a, he had a better effort earlier in the game 
where they tried to run outside zone opposite Osai. I don't know if you remember this one. They tried to block him with a tight end. Osai discards him on the backside like he's used toilet paper, sprints down the line of scrimmage flat, and catches Chuba Hubbard before he can make his cut up the field on inside zone for a negative play. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's the stuff that NFL draft uh, analysts and scouts are going to see, and and they're going to flip out. I mean, obviously the last play is fantastic. The force fumble, the Graham picked up where he's kind of stunting and comes into it. Uh, The, you know, just the way that he attacked that thing and the veracity of going after the football, and it, it was aggressive. It was it was harsh, and I loved it. And it was also combine that with understanding kind of where you're at and, and spatial awareness and the fact when he came back in, man, he was looking for Sanders in that football. Uh, Texas was going to have to create plays like that. They were going to have to dominate that part of the game, and it's one of the beautiful things, man. I, I saw it with my Niners a lot last year. The Niners weren't as good as people think, and that got exposed on that cover three that was blown um, that, that kind of got it going in the Super Bowl. But it took third quarter in the Super Bowl. If you have a dominant defensive line and you can really punk the offensive line, all the other shit around it doesn't matter. Uh, a, a lot of times in football, I mean, it, it can get that simple with football, and Texas kind of did that to Oklahoma State. Yeah, I agree. And Taquan Graham, not far behind Joseph Osai in terms of game, pack, game impact between the tackles. He had three and a half tackles for loss. He had that 33-yard fumble recovery, rumble. Uh, he had a sack, and he was just great at the point of attack. Sweat and Coburn really hustled. They did a good job collapsing the pocket. And then you mentioned Jacoby Jones. What was most interesting about him and some of his effective pressures, he had a good sack. They lined him up inside. And that's something Texas has not done yet. And it's something that I've been waiting for Chris Ash to do. And he's finally starting to throw out some different combinations, particularly on passing downs, and just letting the athletes be athletes. Let them move around a little, create a little motion, create a little space. And so they lined up Jacoby Jones inside a a three technique, and then they looped him around the A-gap. And he's just faster and more athletic than the guys trying to block him. And that's what Joseph Osai was doing when he was lining up on the edge and then looping inside, as you referred to. Taquan Graham was getting great push. And if you can combine that sort of looping, you know, using your guys who are quick and long, your greyhounds, and then you could still have your pit bulls, your sweats, and your Coburns pushing back the pocket, that's a lethal combination against the run game and in pass rush. Very impressed by the, the lane rush discipline from the Texas defensive line. Spencer Sanders is a great runner. He rushed for over 100 yards last year against Texas in Austin. He had 11 yards rushing in Stillwater, and that that was a big part of the game. And there is no question, although Texas certainly didn't want to bleed 400 yards passing, there is no question that the game plan was, given a preference, make Spencer Sanders stand in the pocket and deliver a strike where he has the potential to turn it over rather than letting him pull the ball down on third and five and run for 35 yards. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he was sacked five times, so when, whenever they did not have good lane discipline is when you saw him, for the most part, take off, and he did have some runs that, that were pretty good, including a long of 35. But, yeah, I mean, for the, did most, you see, did you see the, for the uh, most part, you're right, you're fake. right though. Did you, did you see the head fake he put on Jawan Mitchell on that run? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was lingerie on the field that – I, it would have been cool if it was the same spot where Donovan Woods lost some lingerie against Vince Young, uh, but it, absolutely, but, but it was not. But yeah, Sanders can be impressive. But you're right about that. I mean, they were going to force him to make good decisions and to be a a uh, you know to have sprinkle reads as opposed to one read and shut off the field and really be able to go through his progressions. And if he does that and doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't throw back against the grain, which is what he did against Iowa State. I mean, Texas really should have had five turnovers in this game because the one before the first half where they got a field goal on it, he was just trying to give it up. And when I saw that, I thought, man, this is only going to continue to add. Mike Gundy is going to go into halftime and say, how do we win this game without having Spencer Sanders make too many plays via the air? Yeah, I think that's right. And DeMarvian Overshawn had a, a really nice drop and read of the quarterback, just reading the route progression. He put himself into place to get both balls on the hand, dropped the interception, unfortunately. 
And more telling for DeMarvian, he was kind of up and down in this game, but his ups were impressive. They were. He, he had two violent hits. Yeah. And one of those hits triggered a fumble. The other hit, I think, took a little wind out of Spencer Sanders' sails for a while, and you could see it. Uh, that's what we need from DeMarvion. Crazy thing, you know, nitpicking here. Man, DeMarvion is a bad blitzer, and, it, and he should be great at it because he's so quick, he's so sudden, he's, he's default aggressive. But he, is, he runs into the back of Texas defensive linemen. He'll take the long way, or like if there's a pile, he'll run up to it and then run around it. <laughs> and then, like, the, I'm like, I know you're quick, DeMarvian, but the geometry of that doesn't work in football, right? You, right. you need to find a gap. You've got to hunt for something, and you've got to spring through that suddenly. And, and, if, and if he can get that timing down, he's a huge asset as a potential blitzer. But, man, it just leaped out to me on multiple occasions that he is, he is a poor blitzer, and they've got to find a way to time that thing up. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point, and violent is a great word. I used that on postgame uh, last night when talking about Osai and some of the things he did, but really the defensive line in general and and, and Overshone, like you said, he had a couple pops that, that I thought, win. that's pretty big. I mean, the shot that Spencer Sanders took from Osai, and I forgot who was the – it may have been Overshone with him. Um, he took he – took, uh, that's not a shot you see very often, certainly without a flag. I thought it was clean, but I'm also 42 going on 90 in terms of uh, the some of the old school hits. I thought it was clean, but I was also surprised he got up that quickly. If you notice, he almost went limp for a second with his arms and then mm-hmm. popped back up quickly because he had two officials, including the referee, over him, and they, they were about to pull him because they were they wondered if he was going to get up. Yeah, I think that's right. And then um, special teams. Yes. Texas won this game because of special teams and defense. And special – I mean, if, if Deshaun Jameson doesn't return that kick, we lose by double digits, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, th- that was easily the biggest turning point. It's at 11, and you felt like they're going to get the ball back. Because the Texas offense – that's the other thing. The Texas offense, there was no way they were going to go 80 or whatever. It just didn't feel that way. I mean, there were some big splash plays, but – offensively, they were not good last night. So if you're, a Texas no, they, ho- if you're a Texas homer, don't try and recreate that to where the offense is really clicking. Oh, I'm, I'm already reading comments on the boards of like, we put 41 on the board. Oh, and it's stop. like, no. No, there, there is no big <laughs> no. – I have not seen a bigger disparity between what the stats nationally show with scoring and some of the other metrics with offense and what my eyeballs see with this offense. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I don't think we're just being hypercritical Texas fans either. Um, also, hey, man, big props to Ryan Bushevsky. Nice hold. Nice hold. That thing was a rocket. Yeah, the 57-yarder the 57 yarder was luck in a roll, but I'll take it. It was, but he had – well, unfortunately – He had pressure, he had, right. He, he had other punts in addition to that one, and he, he averaged 47 yards a kick. Five of those kicks were down inside the Oklahoma State 20. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll give him some love, but uh, especially with the big hold. Hey, before we move on here, uh, I want to ask you, because we had a question about it on the postgame last night, kind of the quarters coverage and the examples that were given were probably not the most talented teams, but where air raid teams really find holes and gaps in those defenses. How much yesterday, because look, the coverage was not great either. There was some well-schemed stuff by Casey Dunn, Shout out to the Irish and uh, and Mike Gundy. But still way too many wide ass open guys. Is that the scheme? Is there a hole in that scheme or is that once again, the personnel not not really playing to it? It's the personnel not playing within the scheme and understanding what's being done to them. So you saw multiple instances of Texas players either blowing a coverage, blowing their assignment. They were mesmerized, you know, watching the quarterback and sitting in no man's land. And that was the case of the Chuba Hubbard sort of walk-in play-action touchdown. Uh, You know, there was the the, where Texas picked, you know, Caden Stearns picked, I think that was Anthony Cook on the goal line, uh, trying to work inside and across a guy when they're trying to run a rub route. And, of course, Wolf strolled in for an easy touchdown. Uh, And then you saw some big gaps. 
I mean, Tylen Wallace's first catch of the game, he was uncovered. Mm-hmm. And he just ran to space. And that's what Big 12 offenses do that I don't think people outside the Big 12 fully get. They just run to space. They're not obligated to run a route. And so, you know, a lot of traditional quarters coverage is built around recognizing traditional routes and getting on top of them, right, or getting underneath them and, and preventing the easy throw. And in the Big 12, it went, when your receiver finds himself in space, he just stops. And you're not obligated to continue a route. You just stop in green space and catch the ball and run. No, I so, mean, any of the air raid guys, when they describe it and they get real philosophical, when they simplify it, they say, we're running to green grass that you're not at. That's it. And, and the quarterback recognizes pre-snap where that green grass is going to be, usually by alignment and just knowing your defense. At the same time, Chris Ash's defense and his scheme at its best recognizes that because what you really do is teach the position. And at the positional level, you should understand my job is not to guard green grass. So even though I'm in this coverage, my job is to run up and, and, and get on top of this receiver who's in front of me who just settled, right? Or my job is to carry up this receiver a little more than traditionally what would happen if this guy's just running a post. And so I think there was a failure to do that. There was a failure of communication. And, you know, really, I, I, you can only overcome that with time. But there's also no question Gundy specifically attacked the scheme. And that is the inherent weakness of that scheme. And it's just something you have to learn to live with and you have to be able to modify. And, uh, you know, the hope is that Ash will be able to do that as it progresses. It, in some ways, this was the first offense that really exposed him, you know, in, in that regard. Uh, Tech did a little bit, uh, but they, don't, they didn't quite have the personnel. And, and I don't think Baylor obviously had the personnel. But Oklahoma State gave us a hint of, of what, you know, better Big 12-type offenses can do. I think you can just improve it by coaching it better. Uh, but maybe that's my old-fashioned approach to it. And, uh, you know, I, honestly, I, I just think that um, the defense won this game while giving up 530 yards. It's crazy. Yeah, with special teams, too. Hey, did you see yep. Oklahoma State, what they did with their video board whenever Dicker missed the extra point? I saw that, yeah. So they were, they were putting up behind the video board, putting up yellow lines. In vertical yellow lines, so that you couldn't really tell where the goal, the uh, posts were um, on your kicks. So I have no idea the degree to which that affects a kicker, but I can't, I can't fathom that it has a positive effect. No, that is so bush league, especially in college. I mean, congratulations, Oklahoma State, you beat Tech to something. <laughs> yeah, are they classless clowns, Kevin? No, look, Texas fans can be classless, too. I mean, I understand all fans can be that. But, I mean, it's not about fans. Like, that's someone who works for Oklahoma State. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm surprised they don't try to put up some kind of, like, uh, violent thrash video behind the kick to try, try to trigger an epileptic seizure from someone or something. Right, but it's, it's the equivalent of if Scott McConnell, the Texas basketball SID, joined all the the college kids on a free throw with trying to distract the guy behind the basket. Yeah, no, you're right. But, I mean, you know, it's Oklahoma State, man. What are you going to do? And I wouldn't be surprised if they put in some sort of rule about that. Or, But it's one of those things where if it's not specifically spelled out in the rules, then – you know, they're going to do it. I wonder if they've done that before. They had to have done that before this year. Probably, although that that video looked almost looked new, I mean, where they've expanded it and it's pretty big. And Oklahoma State, uh, I mean, look, they're still ahead of Texas, but how much how much uh, faith do you have that Texas has a realistic shot to go ahead and run the table and they would still need, I think, Oklahoma to lose the game and, and some other stuff to happen? Well, so believe it or not, Kansas State, is sitting in the lead of the Big 12 right now, right? Tied with Iowa State? Yeah, without a quarterback, and they looked awful against West they, Virginia. Yeah, they're shot. Yeah, they are. They're, they're done. They're, that quarterback, unfortunately, is going gonna, is gonna to expose them. And then I think, were they, I think they were without Deuce, uh, at least for, if not the whole game, a portion of it. So I'm not sure about that. But 
Uh, Iowa State, obviously, is, is going to be a problem, particularly their defense against the Texas offense. West Virginia, that's a big game next week. It's crazy. I mean, if, if Texas wins that and then goes and obviously beats Iowa State, and we assume they take care of business against Kansas, um, they're going to play in the Big 12 title game. Yeah, no, that's uh, – still everything is out in front of them, which is cool. Uh, I, I would still probably take Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to be in that Big 12 championship game. But it does give Tom Herman, after the whole Quinn Ewers decommit, it does give him a little bit of, I, I guess, breathing room. Not much, but a little bit. And more more importantly, with Texas fans, hope that they can still, yeah. s- still do something this year. Have you changed your, your tune at all? I mean, did, did Saturday we – t- we talked about last Saturday against Baylor – if that changed anything, and it, and it really didn't. I mean, they beat the number six team on the road. Uh, do you have a little bit more faith in Herman? Not really. I no. don't either, yeah. I, I, I think you have to look at the longer track record and then look at, I mean, as we've tried to say contextually many times, this is the weakest, most vulnerable Big 12 that has ever existed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Texas should be expected to, frankly, be undefeated right now. And... They're not, and that's that's a coaching failure, and that's just you know that's that's something that Tom Herman owns, and I'm not trying to, you know, just raise the bar arbitrarily. It's just that's my assessment of the Big Twelve, a couple of weeks in, and it's been nothing but reconfirm that this is the most vulnerable Big Twelve that's that's ever been, it's and not, Texas should should win it going away. Not only reconfirmed, it's only added to it in my degree. Yeah. You know, to where it's even more of a vacuum than I thought it was. And I thought it, we, we both did. We thought, man, this is going to be the most wide-open Big 12 ever, not only because of COVID, but even without COVID. Uh, that would have been the case this year because Lincoln Riley still would have had Spencer Rattler in that defense and the suspensions and, and some question marks. But they seem to really be getting it together. Texas Tech is bad. I hate to be just crashing on Tech here. Eh, no, no, I don't. Uh, but but th- that is a bad defense, and they got blown out. Oklahoma is, is kind of catching fire at the right time. But Texas is still in this thing. Um, where do you think Tom Herman's mindset is right now with everything that's gone gone on? And obviously he's aware of the message boards and the radio shows and all that stuff and that people are almost assuming he's gone. Uh, he's got to be down. And I'm sure he's feeling ill-treated and, oh, people don't understand COVID and we had this happen to me and blah, 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 right? And, you know, I, I think most coaches who aren't meeting expectations at Texas throw little pity parties for themselves. Yeah. And Mac did that can go but- – Sorry? Mac did not, but <laughs> – Yeah, kidding. right. Killing myself out here in Florida. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and the question is, and we all throw ourselves a little pity parties every now and then, right? That's yeah. human nature. The question right. is how you come out of it. And do you come out of it understanding that you are accountable and you created the shoes that you're walking in? Or do you, you know, lose your mind and blame everyone around you? And we'll, we'll see which of those it's going to be. And, and, you know, look, the guy understands that he needs to win a bunch of games if he wants to stick around and that people have had it with him. So we'll see how that affects his mindset. We'll see if the team adopts the underdog mentality that you always lobby for because that's when Texas is at its best. And if Texas can channel the toughness of Sam Ellinger, of Rashawn Johnson, of Joseph Osai, of Taquan Graham, those guys who just go out, play their asses off, do their jobs, don't care about Twitter, don't care about all these other things that are peripheral. If Texas can rally behind those guys, they can win out just off of toughness, as, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. But if they fall apart, if the staff fractures, if, if you know, these people just you know, continue to divide the per- sense of purpose in the locker room, I just, they're going to they're gonna blow a game that they should win and it's going to all come tumbling down. Uh, but I can tell you, a champion, a proven champion, who isn't going to have anything come tumbling down when it comes to do your mortgage, that's Gabe Winslow and his team. Uh, Gabe has been exceptional for our listeners, and he is continuing to be exceptional. If you are in the market for a new home or if you have an existing home, you need to seriously consider a refi, particularly if you've got a note 
that's at three and a half percent or higher on a 30 year. As crazy as that sounds, if you give Gabe a call at 832-557-1095, that's 832-557-1095, he is going to be able to demonstrate to you the value that he can share, that he can save with a refi, tens of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of your loan saved, hundreds of dollars a month saved in your payment. Put that money to use and put that money to work elsewhere in your financial life. Give Gabe a call. Tell him we sent you. It's going to take $500 off your closing, and he's going to give you a screamingly low rate with a quick close and no worries, no sweat close, which is a big deal for those of you who have ever done mortgages. Give him a call, 832-557-1095. Do we want to talk a little Texas offense more in depth, Kevin? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, what's what's on your mind? Because couple, uh, I'll give you a couple things that are on mine that uh, I, I love people to do that. Married couples do that a lot. And I guess we're kind of getting there where you ask a question, then you, you give your opinion first. Uh, hey, where do you want to go eat? Here's what I'm thinking tonight. Uh, Jay- you know, I, I <laughs> lost entire days of my life cumulatively going back and forth with a woman about what do you feel like eating? Oh, my God. I mean, Thai it, sounds good. Yeah. Okay, let's go get Thai. Uh, Mexican. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I I didn't want to take the first choice. I was just throwing something out there, so it doesn't Ugh. so it doesn't sound that good. No, I mean, it sounds good, but yeah, and guys can do that life. too. It's longer, it's for and they were they last time we went, the food wasn't ready. Yeah, it's like okay, what would you like to eat? Anything you want. Okay, let's go get Thai. Then you're driving, and there's there's the pout. In the passenger seat. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, what's wrong? Nothing. 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 Just stares out the window. Nothing. <laughs> oh God, it's amazing. Uh, what's on your mind, Kevin? <laughs> I I want to know what's on your mind about our offense. <laughs> we digress. Uh, I think Jake Smith is tie. That's what I think. I think he is a a undercover white tie guy. Uh, no, he he's he's quick in seven catches, seven seventy yards. He provides something that – there's two guys that provide something that is the kryptonite for this receiving core. And they're able to, with different ways, get off press coverage and jams. And that is clearly the book on Texas, as much as twisting and stunning was from West Virginia on last year and still is today. Jake Smith does it by being quicker than a, than a bug in a phone booth. You know what I mean? He is, he is so quick with his release – that it's really hard to jam them, and DBs get that. And he had a couple setup moves, too, once he actually started to get into the route on crossing patterns where he's faking an out and doing it with his with the cell on literally his, his neck, his hips, his shoulders, and then popping it back in. And you got that from the, the overview when they did some replays, and I thought, man, you know, this guy really can get his free release for the most part, especially when he's healthy with the hamstring, because he's so quick. And then you got Jared Wiley, who can do it with his body, which is why he's been such a big third-down target for this team. Let's talk about those two guys. Smith, what did you see? And then Wiley, why didn't we see more? Well, Smith started uh, ignominiously with that drop on a third down. Yeah. Where he tried to catch it with his body. And that is no bueno. Uh, and that's been, you know, frankly, drops have characterized a, a portion of his career. And they've come at inopportune times, you know, since he was a freshman. But as you said, he got into the swing of things. He used his head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes <laughs> to, to get free. And, and you're right. He was popping and locking and, and finding space and creating space. Texas did run a few more crossing routes, a few more man beaters. Uh, didn't necessarily stick with it, which we can address later. But, uh, yeah, he, he was able to get some space. He can do something after the catch. I still think he's a little rusty and not fully in the flow. And so I think there's still upside there to be tapped. And I think he's absolutely crucial to the football team. Cade Brewer uh, took those targets that we thought Wiley might get. I mean, Cade Brewer was – really the focal point of our passing game. No, he was. And, and it wasn't just on play action, which you'd expect, but uh, it was on like single shots up the sideline, like jump ball fades. And it's like, what? And so I, I counted it up. He had eight targets. Four of those were catches and he totaled 16 yards. 16 yards. Yeah. So two yards a target 
No bueno. Well, and by the way, with a long of 10. So that means he had three catches for six yards. He had three catches that averaged two yards. Well, 10 is a first down, Kevin. So let's not be hypercritical. Okay. Well, okay. I'm just talking about the, the volume of targets. Yeah, and by the way, your savior, Jared Wiley, had an offensive pass interference. So what do you have to say about that? Uh, I say it was a bullshit call. Continue. <laughs> it was a bullshit okay, call. Okay, let's continue. <laughs> you tell me, what, what should Texas be doing differently with Jared Wiley and specifically the tight end positions? Um, I, I'm not saying that they need to be uh, hyper-focused on it, or but if you are, I guess that was my point. If you are going to be targeting one of the tight ends and make them a focal point of the offense to go, you know, the eight targets you mentioned, why not have it be the guy who presents more of a mismatch? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And that's why in the big picture, the macro picture, the Texas offense was a running start into a brick wall on, on so many occasions. And so to give you an example of that, to contextualize that, Kevin, listen to this. You might be aware of this, but I didn't realize it until I really looked at it after the game. So Texas had 13 points, one touchdown and two field goals, on drives that began on the OSU 20, 15, and 8-yard lines. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I believe that because I, they had 13 points off of three turnovers, which is what kept this thing close going into the half. And those drives, one of them was a touchdown, so a 15-yard drive on the 15 touchdown. One would drive was for five yards, and one drive was for negative three yards. <laughs> I mean, that is unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Hey, am, am I the only one who was not surprised that Joshua Moore did not have a huge game? When you match stuff up and you know you've got physical corners who are, are going to be the bre- best breast, the best uh, press guys you faced all year, and you got a guy who's 169 pounds soaking wet and has had problems with it all year, uh, you're going to have to scheme him open. And it wasn't until later on, very later on in that game, that they moved him more inside in the slot and gave him that two-way go, which is a lot tougher to press. Yeah, a slot gives you a free release and a two-way go. And Texas realized that, oh, I don't know, in overtime. (laughs) And that's when Sam hit him for a 15-yard touchdown to win the game. That was his first and last catch of the game. Yeah, so, and, and, uh, and, and what set that up? Tell me. The pass the interference back. where they're going to Moore and he was in the slot. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that is exactly correct. And, you know, I mean, I'm glad they made that adjustment. I'm glad they put in that wrinkle. But, you know, I'd kind of maybe like to see that in the mid-second quarter. Yes, <laughs> that is fair. What else offensively hey. uh, uh, kind of struck you? Well, can we talk about pass protection? Sure, five sacks and and I actually, I mean, I I didn't I didn't think the Oklahoma State d- defensive line was the strength of the defense. They're good, and Trace Ford's a good player. They they move him around a little bit, but really it was about the linebackers for me and 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 the secondary. Uh, but still, they were that crew was able to get five sacks. It's just kind of a shit show of an offensive line, man. And, and I, I've got no faith in Herb Hand right now. No, he needed to hit the bricks last year, and it's unfortunate he didn't. Uh, and I understand you would want to bring him back for continuity because that's so valuable in offensive line, but he's a net negative. And what's really irritating to me is that he's a failure both at the unit level and at the individual level, right? Yeah. So Great point. an offensive lineman, his tools, his technique are unit-based within the scheme, and then individually he has to learn how to play his position and, and learn some sophisticated footwork and how to you know meet certain types of pass rushes, et cetera, get run game, reach block someone, et cetera. And, and, and also think about how different those are. So that's why an offensive line coach, Paul's brought this up many times, and we've both talked offensive linemen, Stuttered, Neil, Brockermeyer, any of those guys, and they'll tell you that there aren't as many good offensive line coaches in college or the pros as people think you got to have a, a kind of a wide skill set as a coach because teaching a center and a tackle is, I mean, not completely different things, but really different techniques. Yeah, it's it, you're a dance teacher teaching a, a ballerina and a break dancer. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's different stuff. And what I do know is not sound is the bullshit slide protection that we were running on all of our play action where we weren't getting a hat on hat 
And we turned Tyler Lacey, a 280-pound defensive end from Oklahoma State, who is not a very good pass rusher. I've watched the film on him. We turned that guy into a superstar and almost ended Sam Ellinger's career because on that slide protection, he went unblocked five different times. Three of those times, he got a tackle for loss or put a massive hit on Ellinger, including that sternum shot, free-run sternum shot on Ellinger early in the game that I, I thought – like, oh, well, Sam's got broken ribs. Like, he's done. Yeah, I was and worried. Sam just popped up because that's what he does. Uh, but it's, it's inexcusable. Uh, and the sad thing is, early in the game, and I think we forget this because that game, of course, was so freaking long and, and so many t- twists and turns. Early in the game, Texas ran the ball well. And they were running the ball well to the right side of the offensive line. Christian Jones had his best game as a run blocker. Unfortunately, he had his worst game as a pass blocker, and so did Okafor. And, but some of that is not just those guys getting individually beat. I'm telling you that we're running a scheme that is getting them beat, and they don't have a chance, and they're getting confused. You never leave an unblocked big on a pass rush. That is a supreme no-no. You do not allow a guy inside the tackles to get a free shot on your quarterback. And – Texas did that repeatedly. So I understand the frustration that people had. Uh, Sam Ellinger's passing stat line was gross. But if, you're, if you realize that he has a collapsing pocket and his receivers for the most part are blanketed, there's very little a quarterback can do but try to scramble, eat a sack, or, or throw a, a bad ball that goes for an incompletion. And I'd say the one thing you have to credit Sam with certainly is, one, he stuck with it and showed incredible poise to make the plays at the end of the game to win it. But two, he threw for three touchdowns and didn't turn it over, which is something of a minor miracle given the pounding he was taking. Yeah, I think all that's fair. Moving forward uh, with this offense, I just Kansas State, who knows what, what they're going to look like when Texas plays them, but at times this year before they were shot, as we said earlier, they, they played pretty good defense and, and they showed depth without, uh, within that with a lot of guys out. Iowa State's good at at every level, and I know this is not a great Iowa State team, and offensively I've got a lot of question marks about them, but right now that's a loss to me because of this offense and because of this offensive line. There's too many many easy keys and reads with this offense that it's like, all right, we're going to press, we're going to twist and stunt, and we kind of know what they're going to do, that I don't think defenses respect – what what they should with the sum of the individual talent that's on this offense because the sum as a as an offensive unit is nowhere near that if, if you guys can find some Vegas prop bets on Jaquan Bailey the defensive end from Iowa oh, State Lord uh, go ahead and bet the over on tackles tackles for loss and sacks yeah I'm, that's just a little uh, a little one to grow on from me to you um, and what, 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 uh, John Haycock's going to do that I'll give Chris Ash some love. What he did is my biggest thing is, and I said it, uh, throughout the week, don't just take this, don't take their offensive line and their issues and your d- defensive line and just say, okay, that's an advantage. We have an advantage there. Check. Let's move on. No, actually really expose that advantage and heighten that advantage as much as you can max it out where it's such an advantage that it turns into the game that it did yesterday. And the way to do that was to very easily look at film and look at their offensive line. Josh Sills is a left guard. He was the West Virginia grad transfer. Honorable mention, all Big 12. He's a, he's a solid guard. And then Tevin Jenkins, the right tackle, who, funny enough, was the guy who was downfield, and they showed his face, and he knew as the, one of the few veterans, a redshirt senior, man, I got too aggressive right there. And that ended up costing Oklahoma State in overtime. But the other guys, the other guys are Jags. I mean, their left tackle was a redshirt freshman walk-on from Flower Mound who got hurt in this game, Jake Springfield. You had three guys, Rye Schneider, the center, Hunter Woodward, the right guard. These guys should not be starting even at Oklahoma State. So when I say max it out, don't just be simple and say we're going to beat guys really Get one-on-one matchups and isolate and, and, and structure your defense where you get Osai on Springfield or on Snyder, on twist or stunts or just isolating him on the edge, and they did that. I hope to see more of that from this Texas coaching staff. 
I mean, I know we're not, I feel like we're asking a lot from this staff, but take that next step and take an advantage to something that can wreck a game. I agree. I, I think they're, I mean, the, the biggest, most consistent, broad criticism of Herman from the, be- from the beginning of his tenure is we're going to do our thing and we're going to run our stuff. And either Texas is not good enough, developed enough, which is a different whole conversation, or is, is not coached up enough to just go do that. Because when you're coaching Ohio State and you're the offensive coordinator there, and you're handing the ball off to Zeke Elliott behind a bunch of senior offensive linemen, and you have a great quarterback with a rocket arm, and uh, Curtis Samuel and Michael Thomas are running around out there at receiver, you can just kind of run your stuff. I get it. But that's not Texas, and that's not the Big 12. The Big 12 is, is such a weird dichotomy because it's such a talentless league in the big picture. If, if you look at like infrastructure positions, if you look at the NFL draft even, right? But the stars and talent that is there, they, they just do an amazing job of scheming up that one guy that they have an advantage on your guy that's a disadvantage. And they make the whole game about that matchup yeah. instead of the other 11 on the field or the other 10 on the field, I should say. And Texas has just not done that. And what I love about what I saw, at least on the defensive line, is Chris Ash was hunting for those matchups that you talked about. He is lining up Jacoby Jones inside. He is having Osai come on stunts. And, you know, it, it's allowing these athletic advantages to show up in, in a big, disparate way that impacted the game and the outcome. And Texas is going to have to do more of that going forward. Certainly not just to beat Iowa State, but just to beat West Virginia next week. Because yeah. West Virginia is showing some life. And I had discounted them a little bit because their offense was so poor early in the, in the season. Yeah. But they seem to have found some life and uh, are, are coming along under Neil Brown. Well, and defensively, I mean, it, whether – our, our biggest questions this year have been about their offense because we've watched them and they look like crap. But defensively, we never had questions about them. I mean, I always thought that they were going to make the Texas offense really work for everything and that was going to be a problem. I just didn't think they were going to be able to score enough. But – after last week and kind of how Daggy and that offense is coming around, uh, that yeah, this definitely could be a loss for Texas. Getting back to kind of what we we're talking about uh, with hunting matchups, or, or, or actually getting back to your comment on Tom Herman, we're just going to beat Texas, run our stuff, and go. It's just bothered me the arrogance or lack of self scouting or just realistic eyes on your own team that. Texas felt like it feels like they can just run basic inside zone, some outside zone without a lead blocker with their offensive line and that they're going to be able to really move the football. Alabama, they have pro offensive linemen. They have guys that probably could just mash. They still, a lot of the time, will have a lead blocker. Where the hell has that been? Well, some of that is personnel. We don't have that guy who's the clear lead blocker. The Andrew Beck. Sorry? I mean, the Andrew Tom Herman's best offense at Texas had Andrew Beck. And I I, I don't think that's a coincidence. No, it's helpful to have a guy who can do a little bit of everything and do some dirty work. And Texas doesn't really have that guy. Usually you you don't have to recruit that guy specifically. Usually you can find that guy through a position change or a position conversion or – you know, player X doesn't pan out at running back and they become, you know, a great fullback who can catch the ball and, right. you know, do different stuff. Or linebacker, just, like Alex. De- yeah, a, a, a converted linebacker. Alex De La Torre. Absolutely. And Texas just hasn't had that. So for whatever reason. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. So what's crazy is the Texas offense was running the ball pretty well in the first half. Go back and watch it. Yeah. And – and you'll see Bijan Robinson averaging over well over five yards a carry. Roshan Johnson having some nice runs in the first half. And it just went away because Oklahoma State made some little adjustments and we didn't have a counterpunch. So, I mean, a lot of football is not what's our game plan. The real, the real chess game is, hey, what's our What's our constraint? What's our pushback? What's our countermeasure when they adjust to what our, our initial game plan is? That's what you should, should be spending Wednesday through Friday working on as a staff and talking about. 
And Texas just doesn't have that. I mean, we were finding some space by formation and running inside and outside zone effectively. OSU adjusts, and there's no counterpunch. We don't have something else to take into account that adjustment and then and fight through that, right? So there should be a jet sweep. There should be some sort of component attacking what OSU is now doing to snuff out our run game, and it just doesn't exist. Texas just turns the page, and, and they're out of ideas. And it's a really frustrating, lazy thing, and it's, it's, it's ultimately why – if, if you guys do follow the NFL, and obviously, Kevin, you, do, you follow the 49ers. I follow the 49ers because they're here, they're local, and Kyle Shanahan's the coach, and I love Shanahan. I love his uh, run designs, man. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, for those of you who don't keep up the NFL, the, the Niners have been devastated by injuries, and they are still running the ball extremely well with their fifth and sixth string offensive, I mean, uh, running backs. Guys, they're taking off practice squads, guys they're signing off the street i mean unbelievable and they're just doing it off design and people say well why don't you just stop that run why don't you you know why doesn't bill belichick run the defense he ran against the rams in the super bowl he did and kyle shanahan schemed against it and destroyed it yeah because he had an answer he turned the, he had an answer he turned on the, tuesday he turned the page he, he turned he the page and there were notes with, there yeah he, he didn't come up with an idea at halftime he already knew the answer. Right. He already knew the adjustment to the six-one defense at, at on Tuesday. Yeah, well, it's it's like playing chess. You know, you make a move, and you're a lot of times you're making that move, obviously expecting the counter to be played against that, and you already have an answer for that, and maybe three moves later. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, not to to belabor the chess analogy, but a lot of chess is rote. The, the early stages of a chess game, my understanding at least, is that when you're so good, you've seen every combination. And when someone does something novel, it's, it's kind of shocking, right? Yeah. And it kind of throw you off your game. But for the most part, you know the adjustment to their adjustment for every single move. And I don't feel like this staff has that. And it's, it's very frustrating to watch. And frankly, it's been a pattern at Texas for quite a while. And if you can't just overwhelm and devastate an opposing team with athletes across the board at every level, you just got to coach up. You got to coach some people up. And, and that's what needs to happen on the Texas offense. I'm, I'm really glad those guys persevered. I'm glad Sam Ellinger played through the final whistle and, and really showed incredible poise and composure and toughness. But, boy, that was three and a half quarters of bullshit. <laughs> it was. And then – and then, and then the final finale uh, where OSU sort of tapped out by attrition with both of their starting safeties out in, in addition to probably just being tired. But, man, it's, it's, it's hard to watch, and Texas has got to get better on offense. That's really their upside for the rest of the season. I wonder how much for us, too, especially because you're there and I'm watching them as a, as a fan, when I've noticed the last couple of years watching Texas and then the next day watching San Francisco – like it, it, there's such a there's such a huge disparity in terms of what they're doing, and you compare and contrast, and it's probably unfair. I'd probably be better off. I'd be less angry as a Texas fan if I was watching like the Bengals the last three years or something like that. I, I think, yeah. I mean, the bummer is if if there's if you know people that follow the sort of high execution programs at the high school level in Texas, right? They're doing stuff that they're not just overwhelming people. They're making adjustments, and you can see it. You can see it happening through the game, and it's happening with a speed and alacrity that you don't often even see at Texas. Yeah. And so I, I just – it can be very discouraging as a Texas fan, and I understand that, you know, this is a new staff and all that, blah, 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 but you can game plan, and you can anticipate how people are going to play – the, the things that you want to do. And you've got to have some kind of countermeasure. You've got to have some kind of counterpunch. And if Texas wants to go to, to phase two or phase three in the season, that's what they've got to do on offense. And, you know, there's not much more to be it, said. It's funny you bring that up, too, because I'm at that old age now where I'm not exactly going out a bunch on Friday night. And so I've been, last couple of years, been, uh, or this year especially, because there's an exception because of COVID, they're playing Westlake games live. Usually they replay them on Sunday because, you know, I mean, Westlake has pretty much their own TV station here, Paul. I'm sure that's not going to anger 
uh, that's not going to add any more fuel to the fire on the uh, the hatred of Westlake. But um, watching, especially this year, on Friday night, Westlake, Saturday, Texas, Sunday, Niners, like I've just got that that thing in the middle of the sandwich that, that doesn't exactly fit. Westlake is, say what you want about them, they are incredibly well-coached. And the adjustments they make on the fly, and I understand it's high school versus college and it's easier, but, I mean, it's just a, it's a better coach team and it's not even close. And then on Sunday, you mentioned the mass unit that the Niners have. You know, some of the misdirection, even blocking, they'll get check going one way and then he just darts the opposite direction and it gets linebackers and safeties taking a false step. Um, no one really feels sure about taking that step against the Niners because it may not be this way. It may be that way. And when you design it that way, even the GT Connor we've talked about with Oklahoma, um, I mean, it just really pisses me off the lack of creativity that this Texas run game has. Yeah, I mean, it's inside zone, outside zone. There's very little man blocking. There's no counters. There's no attempts to trap or influence, which is something you should really be looking to do when teams are pass rushing you balls out, right? They view your offensive line as a weakness, and they're just telling their guys to go and get upfield. Hey, you can exploit that. If you just go balls to the wall, pin your ears back, line up in a track stance, you should not be able to get away with that at the college level repeatedly because that can be exploited. That can be attacked. And, and you saw Oklahoma State do that to us to some degree, right? Not yeah. in the running game, but they screened us pretty effectively. Yep. They, they did some things uh, on, on short routes, short slants, RPOs that, that blunted that. And, you know, they did their best, even though they were completely outmatched up front. And imagine that disparity. So flip the field, right? You're Mike Gundy. You are completely outmatched on your offensive line across the board at every position. And they're going down during the game. And they're going down during the game. And you already had starters transfer or, or quit before the season, right? You're in disarray. And you still put up 530 yards, and your quarterback averages 10 yards an attempt. And, and, like, and we coughed it up three times on the ground, and Spencer gave them one and almost gave them another and almost gave me a heart attack. Yeah, and, and your two guys, Chuba and Brown, are averaging three yards a carry. And, they just, and their longest run of the game is 12 yards. Yeah. You're, there are no cheap or easy yards. There's nothing that you're accustomed to doing that's working. And you still go out and just move the ball up and down the field. Yeah. So what's that about? Like, what, I mean, how much better a coach is Mike Gundy than Tom Herman when you just look at that starkly? Interesting. I mean, whenever you just play it out that way, uh, he's a much better coach, and there's a reason he's been doing this for long, you know, for longer. And look, I mean, you can argue that he hasn't done what he should there, but let's also understand where there is and what that is, right? And so I think he's, I think he's been the best coach in Oklahoma State history. It's not what they have wanted in terms of Big Twelve championships or beating Oklahoma, but he kind of showed. You're right. I mean, when you break it down like that, yesterday he showed. Mike Gundy's going to move the ball. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I felt like there was a good chance they were going to score a touchdown until Sanders made that idiotic move of running and letting the clock go. And then, and then that was poor game management because you either let that bleed to three and spike it and kick the field goal, or you try and get off one more play with with like eleven seconds left. I think the most important takeaway beyond that big game strategy. Dude is wearing sunglasses at night, which is a money move. You have to admire that. <laughs> oh, God, with the mullet, too. <laughs> All right, here's a guy who does not have a mullet. And uh, a guy well, he does not wear sunglasses at night. He does, well, he may because he's that cool and he's that good at what he does. Uh, he's a part of our family for a reason. That would be David McClellan, fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. He specializes in financial life coaching and also retirement planning. And he's just really good at what he does. Because of regulations, we actually would like to say more, but there's only so much uh, praise we can heap on him. But, look, he's part of a family for a reason. He's already helped out a lot of listeners, and he's offering a free consultation. I mean, especially during these times, I mean, your financial world is changing without COVID. With COVID, that financial freedom number is changing for a lot of people. So build your wealth achieve some financial freedom and do it faster 
you can do that with David McClellan. He's an all or not all American. He's a national champion Texas swimmer. He may have been an all American. Three one two nine three three eight eight two three. Three one two. 933-8823, Chicago area code, but he's in Austin, and he'll work with anyone. we got people listening all over the country, so give him a call or email him, dmcclellan at formfin.com. It's a free consultation. We're giving you two freebies with Gabe and David. Absolutely. Take advantage of it, and uh, please support our great sponsors. Please support us by going to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen Please subscribe, rate, and review. It means a lot to us and the invisible algorithms that social media and media and tech like to use to determine how they recommend podcasts to listeners, etc. So uh, really appreciate your support. We'll keep churning out free content for you. And uh, we'll keep hoping the Longhorns put up wins. But at the same time, we're going to kind of break it down and tell you what it also means in the big picture because we're we're half fan half analyst and it's yeah. sometimes hard to wear both hats it is but uh we we enjoy doing it and like you said we appreciate all the support all right man have a great sunday it's beautiful here in austin i know you're going to be hitting the road so be safe brother i will thanks man and uh if i don't talk to trey please wish him a speedy recovery oh i'm gonna have him I, i'm i look i'm I am I'm doing everything I can to shift all the texting that I'm getting and I'm going to put it all on your shoulders. So uh, be ready to talk on the speakerphone on the road trip. Oh, great. That, that's going to be fun. <laughs> all right. Well, I uh, appreciate it, man. All you guys have a safe weekend and uh, take care of yourselves this week. Go out and vote and uh, or don't vote <laughs> if you don't want to. Yeah, uh, I, but, I, I've already voted. But if you're. If you have no clue what's going on and you're not educated on it. <laughs> no, I'm being dead serious. I, I've done that before. I'm absolutely – I'm so glad you're saying this, Kevin. No. Because this whole impulse of vote, even if you don't know what's happening and you have no opinions and you don't read a paper or, or you don't know anything, uh, by all means, stay home. Yeah. No. I mean, look, I, I've, I've not voted before, and it's not because I, I was I – was, uh, not trying to recognize how cool it is and the freedoms we have to actually vote in this democracy. It was because I was trying to respect that democracy and I was working my ass off and I had other stuff going on in life and I had no idea outside of maybe president, um, but on the real issues, on all everything that's on the ballot, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't have time to inform myself. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do the smart thing and sit this one out. I like it. Took one for the team. Took one for team knowledge. I appreciate it, Kevin. And we appreciate you. Y'all keep listening, and we'll see you guys next week.